Oh, I'm glad your meeting is going really good, dear. Yes. You know, I was going over our finances this morning, and they are really a mess. No, really, they're, they're out of control. You know, if we don't get them in check, we're going to have to cut back on the kids' music lessons, on all the sports, all those extra things that we do. I wish I were kidding. No, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Did you hear anything I said? Well, okay. That's good. Tithe? No, I haven't forgotten tithe. I do pretty good at getting 10%. Though sometimes dropping just 10% in the offering plate seems just a little bit... Well, there's so many other things to give to. It's a little embarrassing. Okay. Promise we'll talk about it when we get home, though. I love you. See you soon. Nurse, 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 nurse. Isn't there a job around here that is not a nursing job? A job I could do? Oh, I wonder who that could be. Honey, I got it. Oh, hi, welcome, come on in. Nice of you to drop by. Yeah, well, we've been meaning to bring by some homemade bread and return the favor. Don't want this to become a one-way street, you know. Yeah, I did lose my job. Word must travel fast around here. Well, we'll be okay. We're, we're doing fine, just fine. Well, thanks, and I'm sure that there's people that could really use the help. But I certainly don't want to take away from the more deserving. So you, you keep that and... Ooh, even those cans of Natina. And uh, maybe put them on, on eBay and make sure that, that it gets to people who really need the help. Okay, thanks. See you at church. Bye. What should I wear tonight? It's going to be such a grand business party. Uh, it all hinges on my being bold. I should get that contract. She would really need it. I mean... Who doesn't want a crazy, fine lifestyle like I do? I have my own chef. <laughs> this one, this Ralph Lauren looks, that's pretty, but doesn't quite make the cut. Ooh, this Versace is really nice. It would go so well with the shoes that I bought last week. Yeah, and then she'll see how fine living is. She'll see that our stock is going up, and our new fashion line is just divine. Everyone's going to buy it. Yeah, I think this will seal the deal. All right, four new friends on MySpace. <laughs> Man, this homework is tough. What time is it? Oh no, it's time for class. Or is it work? No, it's time for class, although I need to go to work. I just don't have the money to do anything. I mean, all the money that I made last quarter went into tuition and books for class this quarter. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my cafeteria bill or let alone get my pickup fixed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need that money. I'm so tired of asking my folks for money. They... And the thing is, I know that they would give it to me if I asked them for it. They would be more than happy to help me out. But 
I just need to show some self-reliance, stand on my own two feet for a little bit. I guess what I can't figure out, though, is I remember all those years back in Sabbath school and church, all the people telling me, you know, if you give to the Lord, he's going to give back to you, and your cup will overflow with blessings. I'm just not seeing that happening. Lord, you know that I've always given a faithful tithe, even my birthday and Christmas gift money. I'm not asking you to make me rich overnight. I just need some wisdom to know what to do with the little money that I do have and some confidence that you're not going to leave me here all alone. So now you know what we're talking about today. So I invite you to reach for your wallet. Go ahead. I, I'll just tell you, I hate it when people give me directions in church, but I really want you to play along. Reach for your wallet or your purse or your coin purse or your check per, checkbook. I don't care what age you are, whatever you brought with you today that contains either cash or credit cards. This is mine, my driver's license right there, a few credit cards in here, a very few green bills inside. Got your wallet out? Just place it in your hands or on your lap. Everybody has their, their money. Now deacons, lock the doors. <laughs> If you weren't here last week, we signed a slip for you, all the wallets stay today. Sorry, you know, you should miss church. So there it is, your wallet. Really an extension of who you are, an extension of your identity and yourself. This is what we're going to talk about today in the context of the Apostle Paul's advice Actually, his admonition, letter to the Romans, that we read last week. I'm going to read those same two verses from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, with our wallets in mind. And, and if you would, instead of simply thinking about what's in your hand, add to this stack your savings account, all your checking account balances. Add to this your retirement funds, your college education, money market CDs, 401ks, Real estate, anything you have that's got some value to it. Just imagine that sitting here with your wallet, would you? All your resources, and keep that in mind as we read together, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, from the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We read this last week, Paul's plea to the people to think about a new system of sacrifice, no more animal sacrifice, the altar's been cleared off, no animals, no blood, because something new is now in place. If you were here last week, you remember that I said chapters 1 through 11 form the basis for what Paul is able to say in chapter 12. There's that therefore is in our Bible. One of your first three words, therefore, in chapters 1 through 11, we read that because of this amazing grace and mercy of God, which applies to everyone, 
doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, a Jew, a pagan, a Roman citizen, a Greek citizen, if you're a member of the new Christ cult, all of you are covered by this mercy of God and you now live, you are righteous because of that. So there's a new way of living, Paul said in Romans 12. Last week we said we present our bodies, not an animal sacrifice, a new system. And we talked about our physical bodies. To be fair to that interpretation of the passage, we need to include everything that's an extension of us and our physical bodies, like our wallets, like our resources, to be fair to this kind of a reading, because it is everything about us that we place on this altar of sacrifice. So next week we talk about our relationships, and the week after that we'll talk about our time. Today it's our resources. Paul says there is something, some new way of presenting our resources as a living sacrifice. I'd like to focus the conversation just a little more. What is it about our resources? How is it we live with these resources, with the eyes of God only, this audience of one? How is it we decide what of our resources will go to the church, the local church, the Seventh-day Adventist denomination? How is it you make these decisions about your tithes and offerings? How is it you determine what you'll present in a response to all God's done? How do you come to those conclusions? Now, I must confess to you, it's a, just a really peaceful time to talk about this subject because the year-end offerings are so good. Most pastors don't want to open the word and, and, and just beg you to give. And most of you don't want to sit through a good old-fashioned stewardship sermon either, do you? Amen, someone said. But you see, the finance committee and the staff were just in a, a pleasant situation because of your year-end giving. Let me remind you, if you haven't heard these numbers, let me tell you quickly. This church gave four times its average church budget in the month of December. We were hoping, yeah, whoa, we, we were hoping maybe we'd give twice as much, but we gave four times as much. Wow. Well, on top of that, we did this little Christmas tree offering, 44-some-odd thousand dollars. Whoa. The preliminary tithe numbers for the year are showing an increase of about 3%. That's good. Besides this, there were all the small projects that took place, especially over the last few months of the year, like the AIDS walk we did in December, like many of you who gave to the Katrina relief funds through various different routes, you got your money to Katrina relief. Or er, earlier in the year, some of you may not know this, but do you remember back to January, February of 2005, there was the tsunami effects going around the world, the tsunami relief offering. This church participated in a conference-wide tsunami relief offering. Did you know that you were the number one contributing church in the conference? You gave $16,000 in one Sabbath. That happened just after I'd made my decision to come join you. Just validated I'd made a good decision. But what made it even a little more fun was that the second highest contributing church was about $4,000 behind you, and that was the La Sierra University Church. <laughs> Amen. So on the other side of town, I had some good conversation. 
All of that happened this year while we remained faithful to Mesa Grande Academy with some of the highest subsidy money I've seen anywhere in Adventism and tuition aid. And you can add to this the various other offerings you know about. So it is a great time to talk about our money because the numbers are not, they're just borderline impressive. You start to feel really good about how God is blessed. However, it is about 15% of us who did that. 15 to 20%. Now, I must tell you right away, I don't know who contributes and who doesn't. Neither does Pastor Dan, Pastor Ken, Pastor Isaac. We never see those tithe envelopes. But it's a statistic the treasurer can gather for us, and we're, we're right on target with other churches. About 15%, maybe 20% participate in these various offerings. Well, that's a little less impressive. And more interesting is last week, the first week in January, when we took our church budget offering, we were back to our normal giving pattern. We gave about $2,000 less than we hoped to receive each Sabbath. So, all right, it's a great time to talk about this. Your wallet as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? And how do you decide what to do with it? in the context of your giving to the church. My questions this morning are very simple, they're very straightforward, they're very practical. How do you decide to participate? How do you decide how much you want to contribute? How do you weigh that with options you have around you, outside of the church? And for those of you who chose not to participate, why? Was there something else that was more interesting? Was it, was it a, a bad December? a bad year? They're very straightforward questions I'd like for us to think about this morning, but they're very personal. Some of the conversations surrounding giving in the Adventist church has been changing the last few years. You know this. It's becoming a little controversial. I'd like to ask actually some more some tough questions, too. These are the questions we really don't like to say out loud, but we talk about them in our small groups and among our, with our friends. But they border on the, the scandalous. If you've been taking in the hearings this week, you know our, our next Supreme Court justice will be confirmed shortly. And I'm a C-SPAN junkie. If I didn't have a job, I'd do that. I, I don't know why, because it's, anyway, it just kind of, it twists your mind after a while, but I love C-SPAN. So I'm watching the interviews with um, this candidate, Alito, on Tuesday. I don't know if any of the rest of you saw this scene where some rather ridiculous questions were being asked. The kinds of questions where the candidate had to respond in the affirmative. And at one point, the Republican Senator Orrin Hatch said to the candidate, well, you do believe that minorities and women should receive a college education, don't you? And Alito said, well, certainly. And there was a string of those kinds of questions that with a political agenda, motive. But what interested me was the two Republican senators after that string of questions, it was the person chairing the session, Arlen Specter, who said to his colleague, Orrin Hatch, tough questions, Orrin. Tough questions. And there was a chuckle around the chamber. Is God the owner of everything in the world? Did God give you and I the gifts we have, the monetary resources we have? Should Christians give and participate in the world? 
Is the local Adventist church and the Adventist church structure in general, is that a worthy recipient of tithe funds? These aren't tough questions, are they? Tough questions sound more like this. Can we expand the biblical concept of storehouse? Bring your tithes into the storehouse. Can it be expanded to include things outside of the Adventist church? Can it include ministries we love so much like ADRA and the quiet hour? That's a tough question. Or tough situation, I I don't like not knowing where my money goes. I don't like not knowing how it's being spent. There isn't any other area in my life where I voluntarily hand over a chunk of my income without my voice attached to it. I don't want to give. Or I don't like that so little of my money stays in the local church. I don't want to give. Or I don't want to feed this ravenous black hole somewhere that is the institution where a small group of elites sit behind a closed door and make decisions about what to do with my money. I certainly don't like when they mismanage it. And that happened to us this year with our friends in the lake region, didn't it? And we see situations like that and we say, you see, my money is not safe in the Adventist church. Or this church is moving so slow on agendas that matter to me I'd rather contribute my funds somewhere else. I'm going to go pick my organizations based upon those things I value. Now those are some tough questions. It has become in Adventist Christianity and in Christianity in general, in the United States at least, this kind of cafeteria-style giving. Do you know what I'm talking about? We like to give to projects, and we like to give to projects that sizzle, that are interesting and exciting. It isn't a badge of honor to be the regular tithe-paying Adventist like it used to be. When I was raised in the church, I heard that language all the time from my parents and their friends. We faithfully set aside our 10%, and then we add the extra, and God always blesses. No questions asked. Perhaps it would be good for us to just sociologically, to own sociologically the era in which we live and how different it is from where we've been. Not bad necessarily, just very, very different. It is, um, you know, we are the ones who make all of our payments and manage all of our funds on electronic devices. We have such diagnoses as cell phone elbow and blackberry thumb. That's the world we live in. They say our world is changing so quickly. It's a new generation every five years. That impacts us. That impacts us. It makes a different, uh, difference on the kinds of questions we ask about our money. I'm going to say more about our world in a, mim- in a minute. But for now, in light of those tough questions we think about, let me ask these more simple, straightforward questions. Is it possible we're hesitant to put our dollar in the offering plate, put our check towards tithe, because we really don't know what's happening to it, that we're a little bit ignorant? Is that possible? You have to learn about this in Pathfinders in in one of the Bible classes in the early elementary years, but since then, have any of us ever uh, spent much time tracking the tithe dollar? You know, it it gets a little boring after a while, Let me just tell you, when you put your dollar in the offering plate today, we'll take up our offering in a few minutes, you put your dollar and your uh, tithe envelope in there, let me tell you what happens to it. About 8.30 tomorrow morning, when you're all thinking of getting up, okay, when you're not thinking of getting up, 
There will be two or three money counters that come to this church. They're called money counters. They take the offering which has been placed in a safe and they begin their job of counting it. And thanks to Jenny Joy and the children's story, they'll begin untaping dimes from little pieces of paper. It's the money counters who do that job. Now Dan Ray has been uh, kind to say I can share this with you. He took his post last week for the beginning of the year. This is the first time he's been a money counter, this prestigious job. So he came to the church last Sunday morning at 8.30. He and two or three other people, Cordy is training him in. He says, we are responsible to reconcile everything that comes in the offering plate. We have to count the money in the envelopes, make sure it agrees with the outside of the envelope. We account for every coin that went into the offering. We reconcile every penny in the roll. It is tedious work, he said, and he had another word for it. It is exacting. They spend their several hours here. They tally everything up, and as, as the case happened last Sunday, they were $3 and some odd cents off. They can't go till they reconcile this thing, and he said, frankly, after a few hours, you just get your wallet out and pay the 3 bucks so you can go home. <laughs> That's what the money counters do from this church the money is sent to the conference office, our own local conference office here in southeastern California. Now I realize the majority of us are Adventists here this morning, but not all of us are. So these are our now regional offices spread throughout the country and the world church. From our local conference office here in Riverside, a portion of our tithe dollars goes to the union office. Another portion goes to the general conference. Another portion goes to the North American division. In the end, a little percentage of some of those come back to our conference to support special things, projects, mission projects, building projects, um, and, uh, let's see, black ministries, Hispanic ministries. But those funds that stay in those three division areas, the Union, the North American Division, and the General Conference, out of those funds, besides paying for all of their own office needs and expenses, they pay for things, they make contributions into higher education, into the retirement fund, into mission programs abroad, and sponsoring missionaries. They pay for auditing services, legal services, liability insurance, salaries, the Adventist Review, that comes out of monies that are sent on. Out of the portion that's kept local in our conference office, my guesstimate from the research I'm do, I do is in the 50% mark, stays locally here in California. Of course, out of that, we have to take care of our own educational system. We have to do our own pastor salaries. We make our own contributions to retirement plans and benefit packages and liability insurance, which just doubled this year. And you see that the tithe dollar moves on and on and on. It's almost difficult to track where it all goes and what you've touched when you just put $1 in the offering towards tithe. Let me put a very tangible face to the tithe dollar. I'm going to ask you to stand if you fit into any of these categories. Is there... A a retiree here this morning, someone who has worked for the church and is now retired. Would you just stand for a minute? Might help us to bring the house lights up for just a moment, gentlemen upstairs. These are our retirees, and actually we have more retirees in our zip codes here in Southern California than any other place in the North American Division. Your tithe dollars are helping these people. All right? Go ahead and take a seat. Thank you for standing. 
Are there people here who've served in missions, anywhere as a missionary or at a mission station, whether you funded all of your ticket to get there, if you served in missions anywhere, would you just stand for a minute? All of these people are your tithe dollars also. They all represent missions where tithe dollars have been at work. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Now, the, the tithe dollars that go to the General Conference fund three higher in, uh, educational institutions, Loma Linda University, Andrews, and Oakwood College. We have Loma Linda University right here. If you work for the university, not the medical center, but if you take your pay from Loma Linda University, would you just stand for a moment? Because our tithe dollars are working in your salary and in your departments. Very good, thank you. And finally, you can all get prepared to stand because if you've gone to Adventist school anywhere at any time, elementary, academy, college, graduate, postgraduate education, just stand for a minute and watch this. I said this morning at early, don't sit. Oh, no, this is powerful. You mustn't sit yet. I said at early church, we're a little inbred, and that's an understatement. Now, imagine before you sit down, if you had to go back and add 30% to your tuition dollars for every year you were in Adventist school, from kindergarten all the way through postgraduate training, you owe, you, we owe, I owe, I'm standing the church 30% increased tuition for every year I was in Adventist education. Is that amazing? This is your tithe dollars at work for you. Go ahead and be seated. To me, that's just this phenomenal fact right here alone. When I write my tithe check, I'm, I'm making sure the retiree gets their, their pay for all the years they worked. When I write tithe check, I'm making sure I take care of our educators. When I write my tithe check, I ensure that these little children Jenny Joy had up here earlier get to go to Mesa Grande for 30% reduction in tuition. If you're ever feeling a little conflicted about writing your tithe check, I just want you to remember these tithe dollars at work for you. It helps me to think of it this way. Otherwise, I become a little cynical. Does that happen to you? Um, especially the closer I've become embedded in the denomination. Sometimes I go places and I see new carpet and new furniture and I see travel expenses and things being purchased and money being spent, my tithe dollars that I didn't have any say in that. And occasionally this little cynical side will emerge and I'll say, Ugh, my tithe dollars at work. It is a much better place for me to be to watch you all stand and say, wow, my tithe dollars at work. I also want to think about this part of the conversation. You and I have a voice. We are not mute in this conversation. We are participants. We had a general conference session this summer where our, our president stood and said, we're calling for transparency in leadership. We have a conference office in Riverside where they're asking for the same thing, where they're evaluating their own resources. They have a brand new committee starting in a couple of weeks called the Resource Committee. They are opening themselves up to evaluating every aspect of how they spend their money in this conference office, and they're asking for input of all things, 
You could give them your opinion. I can give them my opinion. I can sit on this committee. Should I want to? I could. You could. We have a conference office who is open because they're wrestling with the same questions we're wrestling with. And if you go back in Adventist history and you watch the layering of tithe conversation and the expansion of the concept and the application from the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 1901, 1944, 1977, 1980s, and you watch every time we've had to adjust and, and talk about how should our tithe dollars be spent, we see those same stretch marks right now in the denomination. For me, it's encouraging that I live in a place in, in the Adventist community where I have a voice that can be heard, and they want to listen to me. That we have a union that's figuring out ways to give more money back to the local church. We've received $2 million in the last five years in our conference back from the union. They've given back $2 million, trying to find ways to give more money back to the local church, the local conference. It helps me when I realize that my only alternative is not to become cynical or to walk away, but to use my voice. Finally, when I think about this culture, this world, what it is to have more, want more, feel like I need more, and to feel like I must bend to the values that the culture imposes on me. It is helpful for us to read Paul again in verse 2, 12, 2, when he says, do not be conformed to this world. Last week I told you that means this age. Do not think you have to be molded to this age where evil rules, molded to the ideas of here and now because there is another kingdom that's ruled by God and that kingdom we can actually see now and those values are actually our values now and that's what transforms us and renews our mind and makes us live differently. It is good theology that leads to good living and this is a case of it. Don't be, trans don't be molded to what this world tells you. You need to, to be molded to. This flyer came in the mail. You might have seen this picture projected earlier in the service. More money, which is really a catchphrase for our slogan. You'll be happy to know those are Adventist college students. That's a promotional from Andrews University that came in my mail this week. More money, how can we give you more money for college? It's a, a GPA incentive. The Apostle Paul reminds me, you do not have to conform to the messages in this world. You have the messages, in, you and I have messages in this world that say, um, we're entitled. That's the American way. I'm des I deserve what I earned. I worked hard for it. We don't have to conform to that. We don't have to conform to the idea that um, you know, if I don't like it, I can walk away. I'm in, in, an individual. I don't have to conform to the individualistic tendencies of my society. If I look at my community and I'm irritated at you, I just walk away? The Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Don't be conformed to the idea that I need more, I need better, I need bigger, that this brings me status. No. 
He says, don't be conformed to the idea that you should be suspicious of all authority, that you should become cynical or you can become negative about these things, that you can feel superior, or even to this very popular Christian theology right now, prosperity theology. Have you heard of this? Christians deserve to be prosperous because God favors us. Not even that do I conform to. The Apostle Paul says you live with a different age governing you. Not this age, but that age ruled by the kingdom of God. We have come a long ways in the Christian church. If you look at the historical perspectives from the very beginning of time under the reign of Constantine, where you paid your offerings to earn your salvation, where you paid your offerings so you could be counted a little better than the scribes and the Pharisees. We've come a long ways from the medieval church where the church-state conversation just collapsed into one. And it's not 10% you give, it's whatever offering they designate. And if you don't give it, they'll just excommunicate you. Where you buy services from the church, prayers and masses, to earn your merit. Move all the way through to the development of Adventist Christianity in the mid to late 19th century where this stewardship reform was also sweeping America. And Adventist Christians got caught up in that stewardship reform fueled by the idea of missions, by the way. They were interested in spreading the gospel overseas. And we got caught up in that stewardship idea. We had a stewardship place in plan, in, a stewardship plan in place by 18 59, 60, 69. Can you believe that? And as early as the 1870s, there were things called penny boxes emerging at the doors of local churches where people would pitch their extra pennies because the tithe didn't stay in the local church. We had a tithe-sharing program from the very beginning, and we needed to figure out ways to pay for Sabbath school, so we put pennies in our penny boxes and collected funds for Sabbath schools. While we sent our tithe funds, just like we do today, to the smaller, weaker churches. You give enough tithe in this church to employ twice the pastors you have. You know why you don't have them? Because you've gifted them to the world field. Somewhere, someplace else, a church is growing because of the gifts of this church. Don't be conformed to this world teasing and pulling on us to think there's something wrong with this plan. It's human. It is not perfect. I, I will be the first to agree with that. It is, however, based on a relationship. One of the issues in early Adventism when they did find this stewardship plan, this systematic benevolence plan, and put it in place, it was not girded with good theology. They just latched on to the idea because it was sweeping through the, the country and it seemed like a good idea but it was not for decades until the church went back and thought through the scriptures and put underneath this stewardship plan good theology. We give because God gives. Romans 1 through 11, we have this merciful God. Don't ask us how to explain it but have you received the mercies of God? then it will affect how you live. It will matter what I do with my wallet. Good theology, good living. It is always personal. And I will not deny that we will never quit feeling the tensions of it's personal, 
That's the good theology. Between you and God, it's personal, but we really need your money as the institution. Those two will always push up and against each other. I will always come out at the end of this conversation with the former. It's personal. It is between God and me and God and you. Wherever you are in your finances in your life right now, you have a little, you have a medium amount, you have a lot, you have more than a lot. The principle doesn't change. It is personal. There was a time several years ago when we lived in another state where we were so poor we qualified for the earned income tax credit. You know that status? If you don't know that status, you haven't been poor yet. There is a status on your tax form where you don't make enough money to pay taxes. And we were in that category for more than a year or two. I happened to, you know, we have a 16-year education process in our family. And so for a while, once the girls were born in particular, we fell under this status. We were just poor. <laughs> Actually, we were poor most of our lives until we both got employed finally. We did the grocery shopping with a calculator and ate beans and rice and put food back, and someone helped us with tuition for the girls the first two years. And we were earned income tax credit people. I remember going to Sabbath school in another state, sitting by a gentleman who drove a Mercedes, and wore a nice suit, and was very convinced about the prosperity gospel. God blesses people who are obedient to him. God blesses people he can trust. God blesses Christians who he chooses. And he'd like to bless us all, this gentleman said, but God finds just a few who can handle the wealth. I remember hearing that as a young mother thinking, are you an idiot? I can handle wealth. I went home that day from Sabbath school saying, bring it on. (laughs) I can so handle wealth. And I went to bed a day or two later thinking, you know, why does it always happen to other people? You hear these stories about people who open the front door and someone delivers money. Or unexpectedly, they open mail, and oh, there was this big rent check that they needed, and praise God, and their prayers were answered. And I remember thinking, where do these people come from? I went to bed saying, where do these people come from, God? And I opened my mail two days later to a $100 bill. It was God winking at me. <laughs> this is where these people come from. Listen, it's personal. Have I blessed you in the past? Have you felt the mercies of God in the past? It'll affect how you live now in the future. I find no other group in Scripture capable of representing this package better than the early Jewish religion that was forming ancient Israelite religion, actually, which becomes Judaism. They seem to understand this better than anyone else since them, that this good theology affects good living, that when you have a merciful God, it will make you react and behave a certain way. It's a sacrifice you offer back. It's the right and logical and reasonable thing to do. That's what that phrase means, because God has been, let me read to you, Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. Just sit still for 11 verses, would you? This is very powerful. 
When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today that the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest will take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Armenian. He went down into Egypt with a few people, and he lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, and they made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice. He saw our misery and toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with a great terror, with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me, Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. It is an act of worship. Has the Lord your God been good to you in your household? Then that same God will lead you to the logical, reasonable conclusion about your wallet. I invite you to stand, would you, while we offer benediction. Towards us, God, we give you thanks for your steadfast, unfailing mercy. We say thank you for the fact that you never leave us you don't leave us wandering as an Armenian in the wilderness. You don't leave us to be attacked by the Egyptians, God. We say thank you. We present all that we have and all that we are as a living sacrifice to you. May it be holy and acceptable. This is the only logical thing we can do, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.